0: Good evening, everybody. We're having a little bit of last-minute technical difficulties. But um, it looks like we're all up and running. And um, so welcome to uh, School Psych Podcast. Um, Tonight we do have a very serious topic um, in line with uh, Suicide Awareness Month. And we're going to be talking about risk assessment, um, suicide, um, some interventions and curriculum, and just sharing some experiences. Um, I think as School Psychs, we're going to be... Unfortunately, at some point in our careers, if we're in this long enough, we're probably going to come across something like this, and um, you know it's best to be prepared. So um, that's kind of on the agenda. I want to remind everyone that we want people to participate and share uh, resources, share experiences, being mindful of confidentiality with this topic certainly. Um, and so, yeah, I'm Rachel, and I'm going to pass it over to Rebecca, who's going to tell you how you can participate tonight
1: and um, share what you know. Sure. I'm Rebecca. I'm a school psychologist in the state of Connecticut and I will be looking for your ideas, thoughts, questions, comments. I will be looking on Facebook on um, the school psyched your school psychologist page. You can post a page. You can comment under whatever was the last thing I posted or you can also comment on the school psyched podcast page. I put a link in the comments for this event for a, an excellent podcast that um, I just got to listen to um, a couple of days ago. The Social Work Podcast had a, had a really good, uh, informative um, um, interview uh, from last year. So I posted that there. Feel free to post comments there and on Twitter using the hashtag psyched podcast. I'll be looking for for you guys. And um, just FYI, I will just, uh, if you make a comment, I may say your first name, like um, John says XYZ, but if you would like me not to use first name either, you can even just put that right into the comment, and um, I will have the comment be totally anonymous.
2: Okay, and I'm Anna. Hi, guys. We um, posted our event on our school psyched podcast page and we created a couple of polls to get feedback from school psychs out there on what they were interested in, and that's why we're talking about what we're talking about, and also um, what their role is in working with students um, who are suicidal. And the results from our poll were 70% of the psychologists who responded, 10 psychs, do do suicide screenings or um, suicide interventions um, when needed. And then the other people who responded said that a the counselor or social worker, or even an outside provider might do that Do that um, screening and they might not work with the students who are um, identified as having a, a concern regarding suicide. So it's in our field and it's a responsibility that we sometimes will have to do. Um, and different jobs are obviously different and different districts and all that jazz, but definitely something important to talk about. And um, for those who are newbies out there, it's scary. <laughs> and that's what I wanted to share was my first time working with a student who either said they wanted to kill themselves, my heart was racing. And I'm sure you guys can relate, it's scary, it's serious, scary shit, and we have to take it seriously. So um, I have this, on our, um, we, have, we have a resources drive, and our resources drive I scan this in and you can see that. I have a card of all the questions they ask a student um, if they have a, if there's a suicidal concern brought up in counseling or brought up by a teacher. The questions they asked to figure out if this is a serious threat or if this is just sort of a transient thing. Um, so that's what I would kind of grab in those situations where I didn't have it in my head and that my stress level was going up and my thinking was not <laughs> not not going where it needed to go and I wasn't able to process So sometimes you know having a little cheat cheat when you're a newbie helps you get through those first few times until it becomes easier. And it will become easier, but I don't think you will ever not be stressed or not have your heart beating because it's serious business. Um, What are your experiences, ladies, with um, working with students who are suicidal?
0: Um, I'll say, too, that... um... How involved in risk assessment and whatnot really varies just based on, like you said with the poll, based on your role and how frequently you're in the building, I think is what it comes down to. Um, If I'm in the building when something like that happens, I think that I'm typically the first person that it comes to, but I've had years where I have five schools and so I'm rarely in the building and so in those cases um, I really wouldn't get many and they would go to the counselors because they were there you know five days a week type of thing Um, so that you know really depends but it is for sure scary a lot of times um, I'm in elementary right now sometimes you get kids that will say things that they don't really mean oh you know I've got a math test I just want to kill myself and that of course still needs to be taken seriously and we still need to do due diligence and, and look into it and interview the student and call the parents and make sure that there's not something else going on. Um, even sometimes you can initially think that oh you know they, they said it, they recanted, they um, aren't showing any signs but then you give the parent a call and this is something that maybe they've said multiple times before and then it becomes a little bit more serious. Um, so my experiences have been very varied with risk assessment, as far as how serious it is, and I agree that it's really helpful to have those questions on hand for when you're like, "Ooh," um, when you're when you're starting to get nervous and, and think that it's a possibility that you know you might have to call the hospital or something to um, make sure that the student's safe.
1: For sure, and I just want to interject that um, that that fear for for newbies or maybe for for even experienced school psychologists um, that that fear of asking when some when a child says something that seems questionable like oh I just want to I just wish it, it I wish I wasn't here or um, my life is terrible those kind of extremely um, worrisome statements that kids sometimes may may say um, I think that fear comes from a place where we still a little bit have this kind of reaction that, well, if I ask, maybe I'll plant a seed, or I think this is a a very prevalent myth, and that's one of the things that Social Work Podcast addresses, that there is this very prevalent myth that if you ask a child, have you thought about hurting yourself or killing yourself, that maybe you'll give him an idea or her an idea that that didn't exist before, and um, that has been shown, research to to show that that that's a myth, and that simply by... Asking a child, you get important information. They're much more likely to tell you if you ask than just come up to you and tell you, "I need help. I'm thinking about this." So I think um, it's important, really important, for us to overcome our fear and um, and 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 talk to kids honestly and openly about it. And um, one of the themes in all of the the Research that I did leading up to this podcast was that prevention is um, the best intervention, and so even if a child says, "My life is horrible. I want to end my life," and isn't at risk or hasn't been thinking about suicide, that's still a clear signal that that something's really wrong. This child is really hurting because kids don't say that, or they probably wouldn't say that if there wasn't something going on that was very serious and if they weren't um, needing help and support and if they weren't in pain. So I think even that is, is a serious, um, serious call for help that we, that we need to look at.
2: Absolutely. Um, so when thinking about um, what can we do, um, and what resources are out there. Um, as far as intervention and prevention, we have on our shared Google Drive listed some resources. So I'm going to go ahead and try to show this to you guys now. Um, and let, let me know, ladies, if you're seeing this.
0: And while you're bringing that up, Anna, I want to remind anyone. Um... If we are at any point having technical difficulties with audio, visual, any, anything going on, um, feel free to please tell us right away so we can make adjustments so we don't go through half the podcast and nobody can see us or nobody can hear
2: us. So Right. right that they happen once. So um, you can go to our um, School Psych podcast page and click on Impressum and get to these um, documents, these resources. It's in the um, suicide folder suicide-slash-crisis-slash-trauma folder. And we have a lot of good stuff on here. Um, after a suicide toolkit, so we're talking about intervening after the fact, right? Not ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think these are the ones I wanted to show you. Oh, bullying assessment. That's not it. There's some flow charts on I apologize. Okay, here we go. Um, 11 questions. Oh, that's not it either. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, okay, we have a self-harm assessment, so this is also an interview protocol um, when a student is saying that they're going to the self-harm, and we also have a checklist for a risk assessment for suicide. Um, sometimes you might second-guess um, your evaluation, especially when you're new, um, and if you complete questionnaires, it's just a way for you to validate your decision. Um, we have high-lethality checklists on here, you know, those big red flag items that we need to take very seriously. And we also have another suicide assessment flowchart. Um So you might have to call call 911 and have um, an MHA. Are you guys familiar with that term, MHA, mental health arrest?
0: No, I'm not.
2: Yeah. Okay, MHA, mental health arrest, is what, what we use in my neck of the woods. And um, that's when, you know, you call 911 and uh, an ambulance comes and a child gets taken to the hospital. And obviously that's not ideal. Um, this right here, um, the suicide assessment sheet, is another sheet that um, shows some different risk points that you can add up and sort of get a better idea of how serious the situation might be, you know, based on history and based on some of the things that are occurring. So feel free, in addition to asking the students some very sp- specific questions to complete the paperwork and to look into what you can do um, and to figure out, What kind of risk there is, and then take the steps necessary to um, intervene. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and I will say that I mean most of the assessments have very similar questions because, you know, um, those key questions of do you have a plan. And, um, you know, have you ever thought about, you know, how, how we do, do you have access to a gun? Do you have access to these things? I mean, um, the research has shown that, you know, these are risk factors and these are things that we need to look for. So um, I think that, most of our most of the risk assessments out there in my experience are pretty similar, but it's really good to have something there on paper so you can go through and I really do like the ones that give you kind of a score you know low risk high risk type of thing um just as a guideline so you can kind of support yourself in and where you're going to go with it so yeah and
1: one um Uh, questionnaire that I wanted to mention is called the Suicidal Ideation Questionnaire. It has 15 items and it is one that has to be purchased by your school district. But um, according to that social work podcast, James Massa, who has been studying suicidology for a long time, he said it has lights out great psychometrics. So that's that's one I wanted to highlight. Um, I haven't seen it, but it has 15 items and It seems like uh, that would be, if you're at the beginning of the year, looking to purchase some assessments in case you need them, that would be a good one.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So um,
2: assessment and and screening is great. Um, I want to also share with you guys another... research-based, according to the Suicide Prevention Resource Center, um, there's a curriculum called Signs of Suicide that has some research behind it. Um, it's a curriculum that's for sale, about 400 bucks for your district, um, where um, parents can... They, the district that I am familiar with gives an opt-out form for the parents, so if the parent doesn't return and sign this, the kid's going to get the curriculum and they're going to get the screening, um, which is the brief screen for adolescent depression, that's only seven questions. Mm-hmm. That's, that's pretty um pretty short. But the best part of the Science of Suicide program that I really like was the ACT acronym, Acknowledge CARE TELL. They teach kids not only they're not only screening for themselves, but they're also going to fill out a form and say if they think a friend needs to be talked to. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I've heard horror stories about kids admitting something to a friend. You know, for example, catching someone in the act of attempting something in a school bathroom and not telling anyone, not wanting to, you know, share the friend's secret, right? But teaching kids that acknowledge and show their friend that they care and then tell. The telling is so important because usually there are signs. Um, So that's what I love, that ACT acronym. And that's something that we could teach kids universally to talk to adults and find that trusted adult that you know. And tell them, but then there's also more of a broader, like social-emotional learning curriculum, which we kind of talked about before the podcast. That something that could occur, that could sort of teach kids coping skills and strategies to prevent them from having these horrible feelings and having all these experiences that could lead to suicide. So there's definitely not just a suicide intervention, but more that we could do in the schools across states um, to help kids. And I don't know about um, you guys, my daughters report card actually has like a social emotional section on it, which I think is really cool. You know, they're actually rating my kid on these specific things. So in New York, they're trying to assess some of these things, it's not like a suicide section, you know, it's about her behavior and emotional development, that kind of thing. I think it's cool, but I wish that more states would be more involved in teaching kids and being proactive
1: absolutely and I, I noticed in googling around that the state of Illinois has a social emotional learning curriculum that matches up with their academic um, learning standards mm-hmm. so that it, it is a, a natural part of their um, curriculum and in in that way it's it's just it's universal and it's more preventive preventative and so it's like you know let's Talk about these things at every level, um, and and like you said, Anna, if, if kids understand that um, their school environment is safe, there are adults that they they can turn to, um, and that it is important to tell if they're if they're concerned about a friend or you know it's important for for their safety. Just maybe having that information, a little bit of knowledge about um, what depression looks like, and 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 what are signs that um, somebody needs help, that little bit of information can be so helpful for students to refer friends to get the help that they need. And, and this, this, Go ahead.
2: Sorry, this, this curriculum is something that at the school that I, I work in the area of. Um, they teach it as part of their health curriculum. So it's something in middle school and high school that every kid gets touched and every kid goes through these lessons and fills out the paperwork and the screening, you know, twice in their academic careers. I don't know... Um, I, I like the idea of it being part of their class, you know, with the support of a counselor or whatever, something that's built in there um, to support the kids. What were you going to Rachel?
0: Um, well, first off, if anybody uh, is watching and wants to comment and let us know what you guys are doing in your state as far as if you're having a social-emotional curriculum, I'll be really curious um, to see what other states are doing out there. Um, but what else was I going to... I had a point and it totally left my mind, so... <laughs> um,
2: no worries. Um, so oh, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> pregnancy brain. <laughs> I'm the, so I, I I've had a lot of training. Um, I'm involved in a crisis team at the place that I work at, and we connect with other districts in our area, and we have we provide backup support in times of crises. So if there's a, a student death in your building, you know maybe your staff are not really equipped to your mental health staff are not equipped to handle this because it's shattering to them, and maybe I- they need.
0: <laughs> totally, just with that, yes, reminded me of my point was just that to know your local resources ahead of time before something happens so you know who to reach out for. Um, I've been in districts that there's not a whole much, you know, a whole lot out there locally. Um, the district that I'm in now has partnerships with multiple mental health agencies mm-hmm. and um, crisis teams and, and things like that, and I think that's really good to, to know those phone numbers <laughs> and to know those contact people and to know those procedures ahead of time
1: sure. So um, I was just a little distracted because somebody did um, comment about the social emotional learning standards for Illinois. So I'm I'm finding the link. Um, And I think that Illinois is not the only state that has them. I I believe um, somebody I was speaking to mentioned that maybe Philadelphia has standards as well, um, and I think there are some other states. So if if your state has social emotional learning standards that that are built into the curriculum, if you could comment and let us know, that would be great. I'd l- I'd love to hear about that. I, I'm pretty sure that Connecticut does not, um, but I think New York may, but I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure. I looked into that before the podcast, and I found this whole
2: like you know. 50 states chart, and yeah. they sort of rated each states. You know, some of them have like dark blue in the chart because they have like full curriculum or you know full standards that are comprehensive, oh. and you have, like, light blue. So they have something, but it's not considered comprehensive. Okay, yeah. That's so I can find that link and post it on our page if anyone wants to see the chart and see their um, see their state. Check it out.
0: I would love to see that. I mean, oftentimes we have parents that, you know, are so diligent in scoping out school systems and states and where they want their children to go. Mm-hmm. And I think that that should be a consideration too if you're going to worry about what their standardized test scores are and what their academics are and, and whatnot. Um, mental health is – is huge as, you know, we've seen as tragedies happen in the media and whatnot. There's this ongoing discussion of we need to change, we need to do things differently, we need to be more preventive. Um, I think that those states that have these type of programs really need to be commended and work as a model um, for some of these other states who are maybe lagging behind a little bit with that.
2: Absolutely. So we have the prevention that we've sort of talked about, and there's some things out there and some things that we built on. We have the intervention in the crisis in the moment to try to prevent a completed suicide from occurring, and then we have after a completed suicide, mm-hmm. um, which is something that does occur um, that touches everyone, you know. Um, I know people whose friends, family members have completed suicide, and it's happened in, in the schools, and it happens, it happens, and um, that's where it not just gets either staff members. Um, this happens, and it's where we have to be present and come in and support and also uh, prevent things from getting worse.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. For sure. I've been in a district where we've had um, an incident and, um, you know, there's kind of a call to action of all the psychs that, hey, this school needs help and, you know, because it, it really, truly impacts the whole staff, especially if something happened on campus. Um, and maybe the staff members that that witnessed something or have guilt related to, you know, what happened or even attempts. I mean, it might all work out in the end type of thing, but you're still, um, it's very upsetting for everyone. And I think that as school psychologists, we need to be, um, you know, professional and, and there and supportive um, for the whole community really when, when something big like this happens. And, and I'm not sure if you remember or not, I think it was a couple, a year or two ago when we went to a NASP, we went and sat on a NASP presentation. It was a crisis presentation, mm-hmm. if you recall, and they talked a little bit about kind of an after the crisis thing. It specifically was dealing with school shootings, but yeah, they talked that. about a couple um, key important things that that I never would have thought about um, in the moment that would be a big deal to a community, for example, in this particular school that the presenter was talking about, um, a memorial went up um, after the event, and kids were putting, you know, flowers and pictures and things, and um, eventually, you know, that type of thing had to come down, the flowers were getting, um, you know, rained on and things had to be cleared out. And um, the school just one day the custodians went out and picked up all all of that stuff and, and threw it away. And she said that that was a huge mistake on the school's part, just because that, that really hurt the school, the student population there. That that was kind of the memorial site for for what happened, and that was their way of coping. And that it should have been handled in a lot uh, in a much better fashion, um, and uh, with. Um, you know, a little bit more tact than just one day their whole memorial that these students and the things that they wrote and, and everything was gone. And so I think that you really have to think about, yeah, this after-the-fact type of thing and how how everyone starts to move on and how your district approaches the media and how your district approaches. And and as far as Facebook and social media is so big now that things happen, um, students, especially high school students, you um, a lot of times, word spreads through Facebook, and schools need to be aware of that and the positives and negatives associated with it.
1: Right. Can right.
2: Um, screen share? Yeah. yeah. I just wanted oh, to... I just wanted to... Um, oh. I'm going stop screen share because my audio sounds weird.
1: There you go. Yeah.
2: Okay. So the TIG Consortium.org has guidelines for memorials when a staff member dies. Um, I recommend, and this is something that occurs the area I live in, you know, have a, have a crisis plan in your district that's in place, that's comprehensive, and that you practice drills of actual crises. Before a student attempts suicide, do a drill and, you know, say John Doe completed suicide at XYZ school, and how are we going to respond, and what supports we need to put in place, and who's going to go here to support them, and that's something that's really helpful. And also, there's districts that have in their crisis plan, that's planned ahead of time, memorial guidelines. Um, Such as, like, we're not, there's only certain things, you know, we might plant a tree, but we won't do a bench. And that's based on sort of trial and error and having some bad experiences with, like, the death bench at the school that no one wants to sit on because it's, because it's from someone who Mm -hmm. committed suicide. So I think that those are also really good preventive, preventing the things from getting worse is having those guidelines in place. And so things don't get out of control and things don't get sensationalized um, because, Sometimes you can't share very much information, and sometimes sharing everything can make things worse. So there's also on the TIC Consortium website kind of the do's and don'ts. You know, there's certain language that you want to use and you don't want to use um, to describe things in an honest way, but also not to make it sound like something that they should consider themselves.
1: Yeah. Um, I want to talk to you guys and, and ask everyone out there a little bit about um, about after... Risk assessment. Once you have um, identified some kids that may be at risk or that need support, um, oftentimes in school we don't have the resources to provide a, 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 an appropriate level of that support. So, of course, there will be um, resources and support provided in school, hopefully, but it may not be comprehensive enough to meet to match the level of risk. So, um, when a student goes outside and is referred do you both feel like that you have enough community resources or um, enough places to know who who to reach out to and um, how about the parents have you found parents or i mean in, in general what do how do we get parents involved how do we make this a collaborative effort between the school and the parents and the outside providers because that seems like such an essential component, an essential ingredient of the care that once the child gets treatment that we don't say, okay, thank goodness they're getting treatment because that child will be back in school and um, it's probably not an easy, you know, like one-time Band-Aid thing. So I think that um, that situation seems to be one, that we really need to work on in our schools, like to have a, a really good plan for how do we stay in contact with outside providers, um, parents, how do we make sure that we each are, are you know, giving our 100% to help this child um, have support and, and feel better. What do you guys uh, think about those kinds of situations? What have you noticed? And uh, do you have a list of providers to call? What do you do once you have done the risk assessment? Mm
0: -hmm. Um, For me, I mean,
1: um, within the moment, if I feel that a
0: student, you know, is such a risk, then, yeah, I'm going to call the parents and basically tell them um, they need to go to the hospital, they need to see somebody, I'm not going to put them on the bus. You know, at that point, you're you're not, throughout this whole process, you're not going to leave the student alone. I mean, that's, that would be a big no-no. Okay, you don't go to the restroom, you don't come back. Like, we all know not to do that. Um, so I'm very careful about releasing a student um, to a parent that says, oh, no, send him home on the bus, or I'll go pick him up. I'll bring, um, I just it makes me uncomfortable. So if it were a situation that um, I, I felt strongly that the student was in serious crisis and was a, a – very high risk level. it will be calling the ambulance or, or calling the mobile crisis team or whatever supports my district right now that I'm in. Um, there's a lot of supports. I've got a whole kind of phone list of, of things that I can go through. So that's helpful. Um, as far as returning to school, um, I think that there's a lot of work to be done for sure in schools with that. Um, I've seen you know safety plans and crisis plans and things like that. But often, I. They don't make me super comfortable (laughs) after, you know, the student maybe spent some time in the psychiatric, um, you know, spent a week being monitored inpatient type of thing. And then, okay, they're they're ready to come back. Um, It does make me nervous, and I feel like schools aren't super prepared
1: for that. 100%. 100. We just we just got a comment. I just want to interject because it was it's a really helpful comment that um, the Trevor Project has a model policy for suicide in school. So I'm going to post a link to that on um, on all of our pages here. But the Trevor Project is one um, that I'm becoming a little bit familiar with, and I'm only in year three, so I'm definitely a newbie. But um, I have just recently become a crisis. Text line volunteer, and it's just wonderful, fulfilling work. So maybe at the end, I want to just put another plug in for that. If you guys out there want to do something that you can feel really good about, volunteer. We definitely need more counselors on the crisis text line. But um, um, the 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 role of the counselor on the crisis text line is to um, is. to to do a little bit of risk assessment, but to also just um, help the person feel just a little bit better in the moment, and then connect them to resources. I don't mean um, if the person is at serious risk, I just mean in general, to to connect people to to resources. And the Trevor Project is one that they recommend, and it is um, an excellent resource for kids out there. So I'm going to post the link on all of our pages here, let me see, yeah, you should see it. Um yeah,
2: <laughs> go ahead, and You know, jump, jump back to um, the question of, you know, what do you do after you've completed your your assessment of the child? Um, you know, it depends on the situation. You always call the parent, even if it's a transient threat, even if they're just saying, oh, I'm going to jump off the roof. No, I wasn't. I was just saying that because I pissed off. You know, <laughs> it's nothing. Um, you still want to call the parent and let them know. Um, and, you know, maybe... The parent has an impression that something's going on, and the parent wants to follow up with mental health support. You know, once a ch- I've had I've had kids who are repeaters, who threaten to hurt themselves a lot, and that's part of their behavior. Um, and they um, don't have a plan in place, but they are showing signs of concern. And so then I would want them to go to an outside mental health person. And Rebecca, I do think that there's enough mental health people in my area, and I yeah. have a list of I have a list of counselors. But there's still barriers. Um, there's barriers to connecting with the family and seeing the child and the problem in the same way. You know, I've had a parent, I'm like, I'd like you to come pick them up and take them to the hospital. Um, it wasn't that they had a, I, I couldn't guarantee that they weren't going to hurt themselves. It was one of those gray area situations where I'm not calling 911, but the child is not giving me the answers that are making me comfortable right now. Um, yeah. That parent said, oh, yeah, well, I'll take them to the hospital, and they didn't. You know, they just went home, and, you know, they didn't have transportation to get to counseling appointments. And, you know, there's a lot of things that can get in the way of getting the kids the help they need. And, you know, it's having insurance. (laughs) It's having the resources, um, financial and transportation and all that stuff, and having just the team perspective and everyone working together in the building to keep each other in the loop and to work as a team, and and those things are hard. As far as um, intervening when a child returns from hospitalization, it's also difficult. I mean, I work in special ed, so there's a lot more mental health to student ratio. Um, I think it's important. I have, through the crisis work that I've done, I've heard from regular ed kids who come into the school and get these piles of homework from their teachers who knew they were out for a couple weeks but didn't know what was going on. So I think it's important, although families want to be private, Families also need to share, so we can be sensitive to these kids and not stress them out up the wazoo, because they've already been in a scary hospital situation and it's stressed enough. So we have to be—we um, want to get them back into the regular routine as much as possible, but we also need to provide a higher level of support, more check-ins, and also an appropriate amount of work, um, not trying to catch themselves on everything right away. Not, you know, I wouldn't recommend giving a Regents exam in a hospital, for example, <laughs> but I have heard of kids getting their state tests in the hospital, which is. Is sad um, that a kid would have to go through that in the moment. So there's a lot of things, I think, to wrap around and to work with the, with the hospital to transition the kid out so you know what happened, what was the treatment plan, but then we really need to support them and be there for them more often and have those daily check-ins hmm. until they're more comfortable and things are back to a norm, a new norm.
0: Right. That's, that's a really good point about the homework, too. I never even thought about that, that that would be extremely stressful for a student returning that maybe staff didn't fully understand what was going on and then, oh, you owe 10 assignments.
1: Like, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I, we were having um, an interesting conversation earlier among ourselves about um, evidence-based treatments. For um, for suicidal teens, and um, so we we there are online. There are several um, great websites and organizations with resources. Um, but I think that one of the problems is that there are there are some. There's strong evidence for evidence based treatments for depression and for anxiety and for some of the from some of the other um, mental health um, problems that kids come up against, but in terms of evidence-based treatments for suicide prevention, for exactly that, do we know that this treatment reduces the number of suicides? Um, I think there's not a lot of great research out there yet, and I think one of the problems is it's just very difficult to control all those variables and to do really good research on that, but um, but I did, but I do think that there's such strong evidence for social-emotional learning and um, just re- evidence that, that suggests that if we can reduce the stigma of mental illness in general, if we can get treatment to kids when they need it in, in the early stages, that um, we can prevent some really seriously negative outcomes. Um, so I think that's important to note.
2: For sure, Um, and I I think we should sort of transition to threat assessments in general. So we're talking about suicide, right? But then there's the kids who threaten to harm others, right? Uh, Like, the I'm going to kill you kids, that kind of thing, or I'm going to get you, the vague threats. Um, We're in the process where I work of coming up with a threat assessment process and procedure and paperwork that we have to follow, and even having it become a team process. When a child makes a threat, that administrators become involved, and in that there's a lot of fact-finding going on, and talking to different people, and checking social media, and doing whatever you need to do to find the information out and to make sure that everyone's safe. Um, and so that's another thing that is important to have in place in a pro- in a proactive way in your in your district, and it's something that we're just just starting to do now. Um, and I, I'd like to share our my crisis plan with you guys, or a crisis plan, because I have a few of them just based on my um, travels. But I would also make sure that it would be confidentially shared, so I think I would want to take out, like, the, informa- the identifying information, but we could do sort of just like a general example of a, of a threat assessment procedure and a, a crisis plan. Um, yeah. I'd like to share it. I'd like to have something like that just as a starting point. Really, every district and building and, and place is different. <laughs> There's my cat. <laughs> You <laughs> have to sort of create, and administrators to be involved to create what works, but being, being preventive and yeah. proactive to make it not the worst thing ever possible.
1: I think in terms, someone asked um, uh, on, on Facebook whether we have an example of a comprehensive school plan, and I do think that that's one of the challenges of sharing a comprehensive school plan is, is liability. Are we sure that it's comprehensive or you know is it evidence based is it best practices all these questions that we i think schools should have a plan but whether they are willing to uh, put it out there um, and share it i think is is another question and that adds to the challenge of um of collaborating on this which which i think we really should we should um you know you know all of us are none of us is as skilled as all of us and I think that this is especially true for this topic for sure um,
0: so um, I also when we were talking um, we we're talking about um, you know risk and threat assessment and whatnot mm-hmm. um, I've had a lot of experience with um, those kids that trip those lovely questions on the back and things about it, hearing voices that other people don't hear and seeing things that other people don't see. And then you have to go into those questions related to, you know, are they having hallucinations? Are they having a psychotic break and whatnot? And most often um, I I feel like that's not the case. Is the kid misunderstood the question or, you know, they're a young child and they, they think that talking about, you know, their imagination or (laughs) something like that. Um, I've only had a small um, number of kids that I'm worried about. They're hallucinating or they're disconnected from reality. But um, I do think it's important as with suicide and risk assessment and whatnot, just um, how specific they are and how detailed and whatnot. Uh, I had a professor basically who was at one point telling us about his experiences with um, Figuring out if, if a kid is truly hallucinating in the moment, and he described the situation where you know most kids are oh yeah I see I see ghosts. Well, what do the ghosts look like? Uh, they're white. You know what do they say? Uh, they say stuff. You know, that kind of vague thing, just like with a a suicide risk assessment, um, you know, oh, yeah, I I would hurt myself. Well, how would you hurt yourself? "Um, Well, I could, you know, hit myself. You know, things like that, these vague responses aren't as concerning. Whereas my professor was talking about one particular incident where he said, you know, what is it you see that other people don't see? And the child responded, "Um, I see gnomes. And, and oh, <laughs> so what, what are they doing? Do you see them right now? Yeah, I see them right now. What are they doing? Uh, they're jumping rope. <laughs> and, you know, he, you know, that was kind of an odd, specific thing. And he ended up referring the child, and, you know, they were admitted and whatnot. So I think <laughs> mm-hmm. that um, just as we were talking about that, just how um, specific um, these, especially with young kids, can be if they truly have a plan, if they truly have something that they've thought about, and um, that that's for sure more concerning. And that always sticks out to me about how specific and how detail oriented they, they are in some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Anything else, ladies? Or should we start to wrap things up? Any other comments, Rebecca?
1: Um, I'm not seeing any right now. I was just. Um, looking at the Trevor Project uh, website that that um, was shared by a viewer. And um, there is a, a great page here. Now I lost it. I just posted it in comments. Um, where did it go? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah.
0: Multitasking, because if I had to do as much multitasking as you do in a given episode, I would just... <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <would be> <laughs> I did found, find it again, though, but it, it's they have um, a model school district policies for for suicide prevention, a roadmap to help school leaders easily navigate ways to bring suicide prevention policies and resources to their schools developed in collaboration with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, the American School Counselors Association, and, the, and NASP as well. So uh, that, I think, is a, is a great resource to look into if you're looking um, to help your school develop a comprehensive plan. I guess I have one more comment to add, too,
2: is that, like, like I said in the beginning, this is scary stuff, right? And working with kids who are, are seriously at risk and seriously depressed and hopeless is really hard. And um, compassion fatigue exists. And I've experienced it, you know, working with a really intense caseload and experiencing some things, um, you know, through crises and student deaths and all these things. It's hard. And um, for those of you out there who are, who are doing this, you're not alone. And it, it, it's the cost of caring, I think is what they call it, right? It's the cost of caring, compassion fatigue. So you need to take care of yourself, um, and you need to notice those signs of burnout, um, and make sure you're taking care of yourself first. And also know when you maybe need to step out and let someone else handle it um, because we all reach our breaking point. And it's important that we even seek help when it becomes unmanageable or too difficult to deal with because it can.
1: Absolutely. I think that is such an excellent point. Thank you for that, Anna. And I want to just add, too, um, again, another plug for the Crisis Text Line. It's such a wonderful... Uh, organization and platform for helping um, people out there who may not know where else to turn or may not have anywhere else to turn. It's texting. It's anonymous. Kids feel comfortable um, in that format. Um, And the training is excellent. There's a training that if you apply, you can um, sign up um, the application and period ends in two days, so um, sign up tonight or tomorrow <laughs> if you're interested. Um, it's an, a commitment of four hours a week, once a week, but it's such fulfilling work to, to be texting with a child that says, you know what? I Thank you. I really feel a lot better. Um, it's just an incredible, amazing feeling. And all of the counselors on the platform support each other. Um, so you're not alone out there texting in a crisis situation. You have a supervisor and you have other crisis counselors that you can um, share how you're feeling and how you're doing. And, and it's, it's really wonderful. So crisis text Crisis text line. <laughs> I, love,
2: I love that point. It's because we need to collaborate, right? And working together, just like the three of us chatting a couple times a month and having some guests, it makes us better professionals. And so um, we have a resource drive. Um, you, if you email Mrs. Mrs. Donnelly Pk12, right? Is it gmail.com? Um, if you go to the resource drive on the Impressum link, you can email us your plans. Do you have a crisis plan in place? Do you have a suicide prevention? intervention idea, anything like that, you know, we, Rachel, add these things to the drive, and you can download all the resources that are on there. It's all free, and the more that we have on there, the better we can do for kids. Um, So please, share what you have. Okay. Okay.
0: And I think especially, just another quick point, um, because this is kind of a low-incident thing, that we're not on a day-to-day basis dealing with suicide threats, I, I should hope, um, unless you're in a pretty um, clinical type setting. Um, so when it does come up, it's a little bit scary. It's not like giving the whisk when we've given the whisk <laughs> a thousand times, and you, you're you just in the groove and you know how to do it. Um, so I think that you know being prepared for this inevitably coming up is just really important mm-hmm. and the, the, especially like the text line Rebecca you were saying with that um, and collaborating and so I, I'm guessing that you probably in your experiences with the text line and dealing with some of that probably would feel more comfortable than I would you know when something comes up at my schools just because you're in it more frequently and so I think that that's a really good thing for a school psychologists to consider getting involved in something like That text line um, just to. It's
1: so true. The the first night I was so terrified, and I purposely, you know, when you first uh, log on, there's like one sentence about um, what the caller writes, the texter writes about what the situation is. So I picked the ones that seemed kind of easier you know like my mother's driving me crazy I was like all over that one I love you know but the more serious ones that seem scary I avoided it and it was so terrifying it's still terrifying but but doing it every week and in collaboration and with support of other counselors and a supervisor who um you know, is a, either a clinical psych or a licensed mental health um, counselor or a licensed social worker. Um, is is has been so um, incredible for my growth as a professional. So I definitely feel a little bit better about a really terrifying situation. Uh, yeah. So I think I think it's a, a great organization. Again, um, and lastly, so should I also mention our. Next podcast, or is there anything else we want to say in wrapping up before? I think I'm good. Okay, um, so next in two weeks we'll be back um, with a very special guest, uh, and I, I wanted to mention a little bit about how I stumbled upon this guest because he's so kind and helpful. I am um, trying to. Um, essentially teach myself the Dallas Kaplan executive function system, <laughs> and I, I uh, listened to the Pearson web uh, webinar like four times, and I have recruited volunteers, and I've uh, been in- administering it, but it's difficult to score a new assessment when you're not, when you don't have your professor correcting it and supervising, so um, I reached out on the NASP. Um, community page and he was so generous with his time and helping me score it and, and look at it and interpret the results. So his name is Dr. Matt Rebeck and uh, let me tell you about him a little bit. He is a full-time school psychologist and a board-certified school neuropsychologist. He is a nationally-certified school psychologist and works part-time as an adjunct professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Southern Indiana, and he teaches Intro to Neuropsychology and Abnormal Psychology. So he will be our guest in two weeks and talk with us about executive functioning, assessment and interventions and lots of good stuff. So it should be really helpful, I know he's already been really helpful to me.
0: Very good. Okay, unless we have any other comments, then um, I think we'll call it a wrap. And thank you for everybody um, who participated and, um, you know, has been watching. So thank
2: you. Yeah, I say it's the three of us, but it's not. We're all in this together in the World Wide Web. Night, guys. Night.